Hey, this is Dr. Rob. Welcome to Biblical Genetics. I'm sitting on the shore of Yellowstone Lake in beautiful Yellowstone National Park. What an amazing place to exult in God's creation. It's a cool morning, but I had to take off my shoes to walk on the black volcanic sands of the lakeshore. I had to wade in the water. I'm assuming I'm going to go see Old Faithful, maybe, if I want to do the tourist thing. Um, but this episode has nothing to do with geysers or sulfur hot springs or grizzly bears or whatever else you might want to see at this park. Instead, I want to talk about a new aspect of junk DNA that most people have not considered. Now, we're not talking about the vast swaths of non-coding information in the genome. We're not talking about pseudogenes or highly repetitive regions. We're talking about the third letter in the codons of protein coding genes. Now, what's a codon? What's a protein coding gene? Well, you remember in high school biology, you learned that three letters of DNA code for one amino acid. Those three letters are called a codon. But there's four possible letters at each location, so it's four times four times four. There are 64 possible codons. But there are only 20 or 20 win amino acids, which means that most amino acids are coded for by more than one codon, which means that a lot of mutations don't affect the protein sequence. You don't change the amino acids because you're just changing to another codon. So for a long time, we're told that such mutations are silent. We're told that the codon table is uh, degenerate because you can have a lot of mutations that actually don't affect the proteins. Well, that, that third letter is called the wobble base because it can wobble around and not affect the protein. For example, the amino acid glycine is coded by GGG. NGGA, NGGC, NGGT, meaning that that last letter, that third letter, that wobble base, can mutate to any letter and it doesn't matter, you still get the same amino acid in the protein. It shouldn't affect the organism, at least so we were told. And so I believed for a long time. When you have a, a mutation that changes the codon but gives you the same amino acid, that's called a synonymous change. When you have a, a new amino acid, that's called a non-synonymous change. Now, non-synonymous changes are known to be pretty bad. I mean, a lot of negative effects happen when you change the amino acid. But synonymous mutations have always been seen to be silent or neutral, except they're not. Way back in 2007, some studies on some bacterial proteins, they realized that if they change the codon to a synonymous codon, where they don't actually change the amino acid in the protein, they still get a defective protein. And they said, what's going on? What they figured was that they were changing it from a common codon to a rare codon. So the transfer RNAs that have to match up to the codon, they're going from a common transfer RNA to a rare transfer RNA. And there must have been a pause in protein translation. So as the cell stopped and waited to find that rare transfer RNA, the protein started to fold and it folded incorrectly. And so the choice of codons all of a sudden affects the optimization of protein folding. Maybe this is a bigger problem than they realized at first. In 2010, I wrote an article for creation.com called Splicing and Dicing the Human Genome. And part of that article, which also became a biblical genetics episode, by the way, but part of that article, I talked about polyfunctionality of a lot of, of um, nucleotides in DNA. So yeah, you can have a piece of DNA or three letters of DNA that codes for an amino acid. But maybe one of those letters is a histone binding site, or maybe there's an intron exon splice site nearby. So you can't just necessarily change any letter because some of those letters have more than one function. Well, in 2013, a paper came out that was describing something called duons, that is amino, or, or that is 
nucleotides that have more than one function. They have dual function. They're called duons. That's what I talked about in my splicing and dicing article, but now they gave them a name, duons. In 2011, an article came out about describing all the things they were starting to learn about the so-called silent mutations and that they weren't so silent after all. Let me read you a quote from that article. Synonymous mutations, once thought to be silent, are now increasingly acknowledged to be able to cause changes in protein expression, conformation, and function. They noted that silent mutations make up a substantial contribution to human diseases, and that up to 10% of human genes contain regions where silent mutations would be harmful. Well, that was an understatement. And then in 2022, the floodgates opened. Three sig significant papers just literally came out. One of them was in an unpublished manuscript. I'm going to read you a quote from that. They said, There are vast biological implications should coding be shown to directly shape protein conformation. Vast biological implications? Indeed. Another one was an article by Sharma et al. where they looked at 659,194 synonymous mutations in cancers. And they concluded... Synonymous mutations have been viewed as silent mutations since they only affect the DNA and mRNA, but not the amino acid sequence of the resulting protein. Nonetheless, recent studies suggest their significant impact on splicing, RNA stability, RNA folding, translation, or co-translational protein folding. In other words, there are vast biological implications. The system is very complicated, and all of a sudden, there's a lot of problems for evolutionary theory if what they're saying is true. In a third article, the cherry on the top by Shen et al, titled Synonymous Mutations in Representative Yeast Genomes Are Mostly Strongly Non-Neutral. What a title. Let me unpack this for you. First of all, yeasts. Yeasts aren't bacteria. Yeasts are complicated little things that have a lot of things in their genomes that are similar to yours. So scientists study yeast to try to understand higher organisms, even humans. And a lot of things in yeast are used as models for human health and human medicine. So they're looking at yeast, which are complicated, and they concluded that synonymous mutations, and about a thousand of them that they looked at, were mostly, in other words, almost all, strongly, in other words, they had an effect, non-neutral. Oh my. What they realized is that most mutations have an effect, even if they hit that wobble base, even if they're supposedly silent. These authors also said, the strong non-neutrality of most synonymous mutations, if it holds true for other genes and in other organisms, would require re-examination of numerous biological conclusions about mutation, selection, effective population size, divergence time, and disease mechanisms that rely on the assumption that synonymous mutations are neutral. One more thing that I want to throw in, we already knew the codon table was optimized. So we already knew that a lot of mutations would not change amino acid, but even when they do, what we found out was that the amino acid that got swapped out was usually a similar amino acid, one with similar polarity, similar size, similar charge. So when God developed the amino acid table, and he said, okay, these codons are going to be used for these amino acids, he knew what mutations could do, and he said, hey, I'm going to make it so that most mutations don't do very much. There's an optimization here. There's a specificity here. There's an engineering aspect to the genome that is immediately obvious as soon as you look at it. But now we realize that when mutations do change amino acids, they're not nearly as neutral as we, as we thought. But stop the presses. Something has happened. Everything I just said might have to be qualified by a new paper that has been submitted to a preprint server to bioarchive.org. It's by 
Krugeliak et al. And the title is, No Evidence of Synonymous Mutations in Yeast Genes Are Mostly Deleterious. Uh-oh, now we have two scientists, two different groups of scientists that are arguing with each other. Who's right? Who's wrong? I don't know. The dust has not settled yet. But Shen et al. might have made a mistake. Krugeliak said that Shen's work contradicts, and I quote, well-established findings from a broad range of fields and approaches. Now that in itself is not bad because science sometimes doesn't advance stepwise. Sometimes it just takes a left turn and an entire field gets contradicted and thrown out and we got to start from scratch. This happens and that's fine. That's part of science. That's what makes science fun sometimes. But in this case, Shen et al. really are trying to swim upstream. There's a large body of work on synonymous mutations, a large body. And for over decades, we've learned supposedly that they really don't do very much. But Krigliak points out that Shen's work, they didn't have proper controls. So yes, they edited the specific letters of the yeast genes, but when they mixed the edited yeast with the wild type yeast and did a competition experiment to see which one would win, they didn't edit the wild type in the same way. In other words, they should have edited the wild type and then fixed it back to the wild type again. But they didn't. They exposed one set of cells to the um, CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing system, but the other one they didn't do the same thing. Therefore, it might not have been fair, and maybe the reasons why they said that a lot of these synonymous changes are equally as bad as the non-synonymous changes is because maybe CRISPR made some off-target effects. When you try to use CRISPR to change a genome, it's going to attach to the genome. It's going to cut the DNA and do something there, but it doesn't necessarily only stick to one place off-target effects. Genes that are similar to the target gene can also be targeted by CRISPR. Sometimes it'll attach to some places nothing to do with the original at all. It'll just stick there and cut and make a mistake because well, biology can be messy. And so they pointed out that they that Shen et al. did not sequence their genomes. They actually don't know what changes were made. They looked at the particular gene they changed, and sure, that letter was changed, but they don't necessarily know if other changes weren't accidentally made in other places. And if that's true, then this competition experiment actually is wrong. Does that change what I said? No. Some non-synonymous changes are bad. Some synonymous changes are bad. Organisms can withstand a lot of abuse because God engineered them to do so, but some of those things that we think are simple changes aren't necessarily simple changes. So we might have to back up a little bit and say, okay, maybe Shen et al. isn't the, this brand new cherry on top paper that contradicts everything we knew before. Or maybe it is. Time will tell. So there you have a little illustration of how science works. I got to add a little caveat to my work, but also to show you that science changes and can be fickle and it can go back and forth sometimes. And I also had an opportunity to try out my brand new microphone that I purchased for my upcoming trip to Egypt. I cannot believe I get to do this. I love my job. I love doing what I do, but hopefully while I'm there, I'm going to have some time to set up and do a little filming because there are aspects of biblical genetics that come into play when we're talking about the country of Egypt. 
How many people were there when they built the pyramids? How long did they have to get that size of a population? How many Hebrews came out of Egypt during the Exodus? Etc. Etc. There are some very interesting questions, and we're going to get to those. Hopefully, I'll have some time to do that while I'm there. Alright, so I'm going to leave you with that. My friends, just understand that the genome is very complicated. Do not let an evolutionist tell you otherwise. And the more complex it becomes, the more impossible it is for it to evolve. By the way, Biblical Genetics is supported by my generous donors on Patreon.com and BuyMeACoffee.com. If you'd like to help support the work of this show, you can find links in the show notes.